five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And I've already done a, a riff on that song, even though you weren't here. But that's on me. That's not on you. Uh, great tune. I think a very underrated song from the jukebox of the past. And uh, the uh, producer on that track is Keith Forsey. You can see him in that video. He's got punching up the beats and giving him high fives and singing, I think, uh, part of the chorus with him and uh, Keith Forsey, a very talented guy who would go on to take the formula that he was working on with uh, Charlie Sexton and uh, he would turn it into big time cash receipts with Billy Idol and he would be uh, the producer on the I think the first three Billy Idol records, he produced more than three, but he was on the first three, which is really the, the lightning strike of Billy Idol's career. Rebel Yell, White Wedding, Eyes Without a Face, all that stuff. And you can hear the electronics in there that Keith Forsey was into because he was a, an acolyte of Giorgio Moroder and Harold Faltenmeyer, who also, I believe, performed and made music with Marauder um, and Harold Faltenmeyer or Falkenmeyer, I think it's Falkenmeyer. He's the guy that does the theme from Beverly Hills Cop 1. Keith Forsey, kind of an influential figure in music. Johnny Cruz and I were talking about him this weekend. Produced a band called Ice House that a lot of people really love. I think he produced, um, he wrote the song, Don't You Forget About Me for The Breakfast Club. That's a huge hit. Nobody wanted that song. Nobody wanted to sing that song. He'd offered it to Billy Idol. He didn't want it. He offered it to the Simple Minds, and they passed, but then they came back again, and then they decided to uh, do the song. It was, I think, probably the biggest hit the Simple Minds ever had. Um, and Charlie Sexton, I don't know. He should have been. He should have been great. He should have been Elvis meets Bowie for the 21st century, even though it was. <laughs> It, the 20th century, but that was the 21st century sound with uh, the program beats and the scorching guitars and the kind of the rockabilly crooning angst. Uh, he did go, go on to have a pretty good career as a uh, guitarist that was in demand. He's a good guitar player. The kid was 17 when he did that record. That's kind of amazing. I think he, might, he might have been 16. He might have been just probably started production on the record when he was 16. That tells you a lot about Charlie. And then he went on tour with David Bowie. I'm like, are you kidding me? You have this record. It's produced by Keith Forsey. You've got this very stylized video. It was all over MTV for a while. And then he goes out on tour with Bowie. He opens for Bowie. He 
gets on stage and jams with him on white uh, white light, white heat, and then I want to be your dog. And he has some just just incendiary guitar solos on those tracks. But for whatever reason, uh, Will Sexton, I'm sorry, Charlie, Will's his brother, Charlie Sexton doesn't make it. I mean, he makes it. Don't get me wrong. He, he's had a good career. Toured for uh, toured with Bob Dylan as a member of his band. Like Dylan said, I want you as my guitar player. So I'm sure that paid really well. And if, if you're a local legend, which he is in Austin, that goes a long ways towards establishing your Sixth Street cred, for sure. Charlie Sexton, the beats so lonely. Even the video is way ahead of, you can watch that video now and clearly Keith Forsey's fashions and to some extent, even Charlie Sexton's hair are scream eighties, but because it's, you know, black and white and really stylized, it's, it's, it holds up really well. The song holds up well. It's not one of those cheesy 80 tunes where the synths are farting all over the place. Um, that should have been the sound. Like I said, Billy Idol capitalized on it. And and that's what we have. Welcome to the podcast. We are now on a time crunch here because yours truly did not have a shit together this morning. And um, we got some we got some chat. We got some chat going on. Hopefully, do we have chat? I don't know if we have chat. No. Okay. It's Monday. I apologize. <laughs> so yeah, we did uh, about three and a half hours last night. And then after, after I do that show, I, I find it really hard to go to sleep. Really hard to go to sleep. So I was up till about, I think two. And then I woke up at uh, seven. And I slept for another hour. I had a dream about a Black Panther. No, no, I'm not talking Huey Newton. Like a, like a real panther in the neighborhood. It was almost like that movie, The Cat People. Anyway, Chataria, chat, chat, I would say hi to you, but um, apparently due to my negligence today, uh, that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to go, I'm going to say hi and... Welcome all of you in spirit to the show. And um, we're going to, um, we're just going to cut right to the, to the heart of the show here and just give my friend Christopher Lynch a little prop. I'm out of gummies. That's why I didn't sleep last night. I'm actually headed into Austin today, so maybe I can pick up some gummies while I'm in there. And that would have been a game changer. I could have eaten those gummies right after last night's show. And an hour later, it would have been the land of Nod. And where do I get them? I get them from True Hemp Science. And uh, I want to thank everybody that supported Chris because he's starting to do some uh, decent sales through um, our show and the site, which is really good. And, you know, when we help each other and support each other, it, it's the, the, the foundation of 
creating our version of community. Here comes a truck. I think it's for the, uh, I think it's for the goats. I have sheep here. It's not my sheep, but they live here. Hopefully it's just for the, the sheep that live here. They've got a big spread, these sheep. All over the place. Um, but it's good to support our community because when we support our community, that money goes out, right? It goes out to other people, people that work for Chris, um, uh, people that have professional relationships with Chris, like myself. And then just in the community, you know, Chris is going to spend money to keep his business afloat. This is how the game works in its purest sense without any kind of weird hooks and ladders that unfortunately modern capitalism, which got yoked to globalism, became uh, part of and metastasized into. So if you're interested in some of the best hemp products that you can get, truehempscience.com, reference 23 right there. That's truehempscience.com backslash rep backslash 23. You spend um, over $100 and you'll get you'll get some goodies. Chris will throw you some goodies. Sometimes they'll give you stuff that's not on the shelf. That's true. So it's whatever he has some uh, largesse with. Let's put it that way. And 15 mins right there, 15-M-I-N-S. That is your code to put in once you decide that you want to get some good CBD shipped to your place. And again, for those of you who have supported him, thank you very much. It's much appreciated. All right, let's get into the topic of the day because I don't have a ton of time today. I have to, I'm getting the rest of my mercury taken out today. It's Mercury Monday. Mercury Moon Day. When we have the moon is in Pisces. It's a foggy moon. So I've got a moon sun opposition. Should be okay. Should be all right. All right. Um, who is Henry George? And why are we talking about him? Who is this guy? Henry George might be the most pivotal and maybe the most important person in the 21st century now. And why? So... Full disclosure here, my interest in Henry George today, at least today, stems from the fact that I had a conversation with uh, Brian and Jen, although I don't think Jen was, Jen was there, but she wasn't like directly on the phone. And, you know, Brian was uh, talking about Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 as it relates to communitarianism so we have the, you know, the, the challenge of verbiage and all that stuff that goes along. But at the end of the day, it's this idea that people can be herded into these uh, new green living spaces with all the supposed bells and whistles that go along with it. And really what it is, is it's a form of soft tyranny. So we had a conversation about Agenda 2030 and communitarianism on Saturday. And one of the things that I began to talk about, at least with, with Brian, is the fact that the real estate game 
has been weaponized. And when you look at something like uh, Verbo or um, Airbnb, also known as the share economy, right? Um, that, that we've never experienced anything like this before. I mean, we had basically, what, three models, maybe, maybe four at the most. We had home ownership, which went along with property ownership. We had home ownership that was then transformed into a long-term rental. Usually, if you, if you had uh, a property and you had somebody that could stay in that property two years, three years, and they were good tenants, boy, that was, that was nirvana, right? That was total nirvana because, you know, you had found a reasonable tenant to, to uh, live there, take care of the property, and, you know, maybe you had to have a few, uh, a few repairs every now and then, right? So that's another version. Then you have kind of the weird hybrid of the apartment, which is in the home, the, the townhome or the condominium. And that represents this new break. Because usually if you lived in something like a townhome uh, or condominium, you were renting. It was called an apartment. But they changed the terms and conditions. Like you could own that unit even though you did not own the land kind of getting into Georgism a little bit. Like, so we're creeping towards Georgism and the development of the condominium and the townhome represented a, a break in how Americans lived. You know, for a long time, it was, you, you, were, you were either in the city and living in an urban environment, meaning that you were more or less living in a, an apartment building, or if you had money, you would live in a house like uh, in the Upper West Side of uh, Manhattan. It's kind of the model. But then we have the, the race of the suburbs, which starts in the 60s, I believe the, the mid 60s. What was the first suburb? I think it was in New, was New Jersey or New York, one of the two. And it was started by this uh, developer named Babbitt. So we have the beginnings of the suburb life, which is it's, it's this weird in between rural because people could live rurally and you could have a home on a piece of land or, you know, depending on the size of the land, it could be productive or it could be just a piece of land and a home, right? And rural life was a house here, a house here, you got your country roads. And then you go in and they start to create these suburbs and those suburbs used to be in rural areas and they're usually more within an hour commute in the city so that you could commute into the city from the suburb, but you're still involved in home ownership. In fact, more home ownership at that point than a lot of other home ownership. I mean, there were suburbs in the fifties, but it wasn't like the, the main model. So the, the, the real pivot is the whole condo world and the development of the townhome. You get HOAs that are part of it because HOAs come out of that. HOAs come out of the townhome world and the condominium. You can only do certain things. Then I guess you have this other weird hybrid of the timeshare. And you don't really own the timeshare per se. You own it for a period of time, which is the time that you're there. The timeshares were the, one of the biggest scams 
And people thought they were great. Like, oh yeah, we'll get this timeshare and we'll go there for two weeks out of the year. And then the idea would be that you would buddy up with another family and they would have it for their two weeks and another hand family. So if you had about five or six families, the, the, the timeshare might begin to make sense. But usually it was a big suck. And then people were just at a certain point, get this fucking leech off my back. So there was a whole industry dedicated to liberating yourself from the timeshare. But again, you know, when you look at the condo and you look at the timeshare, like we're moving now, we're starting to move towards this idea of communitarianism, where especially the condo, you don't own the thing. You can sell the thing to another person and usually you can sell them a profit, um, but you didn't own the land beneath it. But these are all kind of manageable because even with a, with a condo, you, you can make money off of it. You can rent it out. There are a lot of things you can do with a condo if the HOAs let you rent it out. So now we have this mutant and it is the share economy and it's Airbnb and Verbo. And what happens is that it is the, the cancerous cells that move into our community. And if you're in a town that has any remote uh, desirability for people to go there and hang out, well, what are you going to deal with? You're going to deal with all the timeshares, not timeshares, the, um, um, the Airbnbs and the Verbos. They're going to take over. And that's what happened in Fredericksburg. Because this is, and now today, I just, I drive down 290 and it reminds me of when I first moved to Texas, which was uh, 2012. And I would drive from Austin to San Marcos or even San Antonio. And um, you'd be on the, uh, on the 10 and uh, the 10, 35, it was 35, being the 35, terrible freeway, by the way crappy freeway and I would see all this open space but then I would see for sale for sale for sale sold like I could just see it like they're going to develop the shit out of this thing they're going to put businesses and whatever they're going to put in basically from Austin to San Antonio on on this freeway and they're doing the same thing here although albeit it'll be different we get wineries and distilleries this is going to become the napa it already is it's the napa of texas it's kind of obnoxious so what's happened with fredericksburg and this is one of the things that i've talked about is that there's there's no place to live which is why i'm living where i'm living now which i like don't get me wrong it's a nice place to live but the last place i lived at was fine if if i didn't have to move i wouldn't have moved there's a three bedroom. I had space for a, a studio where I could do the show. I, I had all the storage space. I had a garage. I had a big backyard. A lot of you have been to that place and hung out there with the you know, big trees. I used to do shows under those trees. I had a gym in the back. I mean, it was cool. It was a cool place. It wasn't super fancy, but it was, it was comfortable enough for me. I had big trees in the front yard. There were people that walked by. I lived in town. I wasn't far from HEB. Um, I wasn't far from the gym. So if I didn't want to work out in my backyard, I'd just drive over. 
Now I'm like 13 miles away. So going into town, number one, takes more time. And number two, um, it takes more gas. I'm not complaining because I have a place to live. And I, you know, thank the Lord for that. Therefore, the grace of God go I, right? So it could be a lot more. And then trust me, I like this place. But it's different. It's different. And it's more money. Um, and it's not in town, which is, you know, there's six of one, half dozen the other with that. But the reason why I'm not in town is because the owners of the place decided to sell it and make it make a killing on their place. And they're like, okay, the market's hot. We got to get out. And if I were them, I probably would have done the same thing. So who takes over? A family from uh, Dallas who come in, pay top dollar. They had a big bidding war in that place. And it's not worth what they bought it for. I can tell you that right now. I mean, it's a nice place, but the prices were way, way, way out of way out of line. So they come in and they fix it up and they Airbnb it on some weekends, other weekends they come down and hang out here. And this is their little weekend place and they drink wine and they go to, to the go on the wine tours, right? In fact, my my buddy who's a Uber driver has picked them up a few times. So this is where we are now. They're, they've got no fucking place to live in Fredericksburg. They have nobody to work the businesses as far as a long-term vision of the city. And this is not just this one city. These are cities all over the United States. The ones that are, that are more tourist friendly are the ones that are going to hit more than uh, some of the other cities. If you live in kind of a not so friendly small city that doesn't have a lot of tourist trade, you might have some available, but they're going up. Everything's going up. Everything, including places to rent and places like, oh, I don't know. I've known that. What, what would be a good example? Bowling Green. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Who really goes to Bowling Green, except if you're not going to school there? I guarantee you prices are going up there. Knoxville, Tennessee. There's another place. So Henry George is a pivotal figure because of his economic theories. All right, before I go to Henry George, let me show you what is going on here in Fredericksburg. Let's see if I can find this guy. Okay. Interesting. You know, sometimes when you um, do a search on somebody, new things come up. So I guess this is uh, this is Ray Rogers guy is a pilot. Uh, he's a he's a real estate developer. 
here in the hill country. Let me see if I can find his thing. This is business profile. Yeah, the business profile is weird because it says that he made a modest sum last year, but the guy clearly has um, some resources. Nothing wrong with having resources, by the way. He belongs to the Chamber of Commerce. So essentially what's happening is there is a, um, a, a group of people here in Fredericksburg and they're creating community housing. Let me see if I can just type this in here, which was kind of an idea that I had and they're um, kind of taking it, here it is right here, see? It's all about how you search for things. There we go. Okay. So this is the answer to the housing crisis. One group's answer to the housing crisis. And it, it does relate to Henry George, which I would get to. This is called House of Varian. Why we care. We live here, most of us, for a very long time. We want to preserve the dynamism and future of our community by preserving not just the businesses that thrive here, but by producing a way for a very important demographic to continue to live here. If the 30-somethings and 40-somethings with children can't afford a home here, then we won't have them around. That's true. And I talked about this when I was running for city council. We lose the family atmosphere. Our population ages drastically and our whole community stagnates. But we know where a critical piece of the solution lies. So that's why we're banding together to tackle. What's what we're banding together to tackle? Okay. We are focused on solving one thing, housing for the workers and professionals our local businesses so desperately need. Not a problem. So far, so good, right? This sounds good. Who, who we are. Well, the team is 12 people strong. Here are a few, few of the names and faces involved. There's Polly Rickert right here. She was a city council person. Jim McCoola, Samantha Ray. There's Ray Rogers, who is the... Uh, Real estate guy, uh, real estate development and financing, mortgage broker for over 30 years. I want to make Fredericksburg a viable place for my children to return and live to uh, that they need a good job to do, to return and live to do that. They need a good job and a nice house. So there's other members of the team. So what is their, what is their goal here? Packaging local housing as a benefit for local employers to offer. I think it's a great idea. Um, I don't have a problem with this in theory. I really don't. Building neighborhoods of homes for these professionals, maintaining the grounds, assisting with financing, protecting the vision and purpose. If you're curious to learn more about each of these elements and our plan, request a download of our House of Arian Vision PDF. So here's some of the key... Uh, frequently answered questions, FAQs. How do I get involved in securing housing for my employees? Contact us to schedule a consultation for detailed information on how you as an employer can participate in our programs. What is the Employer Assisted Housing Fund? It is a fund mechanism where a participating employer can budget and fund an amount to be used for housing assistance grants by its qualified employees. Each employer must have a plan and qualification requirements for its employees to obtain grants from the fund. House Varin 
Incorporated provides administration of the fund, including grant distribution and tax reporting for employee grants. Employees, who is eligible? Uh, employees of Gillespie County, employers are eligible with the following requirements. Provide proof of U.S. citizenship or permanent residency. Provide proof of minimum one year of employment inside Gillespie. These are ideas that I had, by the way. I talked about this shit when I was running for city council. Complete a loan application and submit Submit it with required financial documents to the loan officer for review. Meet other program guidelines as defined by funding sources. Attend home buyer education and counseling. Live in the property for at least five years. Occupy the home as a primary residence. No second homes or investment properties are eligible under the program. Can I rent out my house after I buy it? Only owner-occupied homes are allowed in house-varying neighborhoods. House Variant has a master lease program for employers to provide rental units to their employees. These are the only rental situations allowed of House Variant and House Variant neighborhoods. So basically, you can't rent your house out. If you're an employer and you have a block of homes that you have a, an agreement with, you can rent them out to employees. How much will the House Variant homes cost? Our target is for the homeowner's cash annual housing cost to be no more than 30% of their annual gross income. For a family earning 60,000 per year, this translates to a home cash cost of 150 to $180,000. The cash cost is the primary mortgage and down payment and interest bearing second mortgage for the difference between the cash cost and the appraised market value of the home will be earned out by living in the home for up to 20 years. So you're making a commitment to be a part of this world. If I apply for a grant from my employer's assisted housing fund, can I use it for house varin residents, no. Grants from the Employer Assisted Housing Fund can be applied to any residents within Gillespie County. So this gets into how this all works. Um, what will the house varin neighborhoods look like? House varin neighborhoods will be small to fit the Fredericksburg culture and small town scale. Most neighborhoods are between five and 20 acres with significant acres devoted to green space in public areas. House Varen homes will be in cottage styles, familiar to Fredericksburg residents and relatively compact in size under 1800 square feet. Their size scale styles will be compatible with adjacent neighborhoods. House Varen neighborhoods will have HOAs with covenants to maintain their attractive appearance and value to the community. So this is, this is you're gonna see more of this because they have to set these things up or else these towns are going to die. They're just going to run out of workers. They're not going to be able to seed and populate the next generation, which means their tax base is going to go away. And if there's a major downturn in the economy and people are not traveling to a place like Fredericksburg, then what's going to happen? These people that own these homes are going to, they're going to freak out and they're going to sell them. And who's going to buy them? The big, the big vampire known as BlackRock or Vanguard or somebody like that. So the idea here is you don't own you don't own the place. You can live there, I guess, for 20 years. And maybe after 20 years, you might be able to sell your interest in it, but you don't own it. And that's where we get into Georgism because that is the model that we're ultimately, seems like we're going towards because of the, uh, of the activation of the share economy in the share economy has, has been, well, it's been cancerous. It's metastasized. 
and it's out of control. So now we're trying, people are trying to bring it back into control because they know they're losing their neighborhoods. They know they're losing their workforce and their work base. So I'm actually uh, mildly in favor of what these people are doing because there's, there's hardly any other solution. City government says they don't wanna be involved in real estate. Well, that's not really true, they are. They're like the master tenant of all these uh, short-term rentals. But these people, theoretically, they have a plan, but it's the George's plan. So that gets into this whole idea of communitarianism because if you're a single mom, let's say you're a single mom and you're living in the Portland area, and you, you work, let's say you work, who knows what you do, let's say you work, and maybe you have two kids. What are you looking for? Well, you're going to look for a, a place that's fairly affordable because honestly, unless you're, you're come, you come from money or you have an amazing kind of coding job on the side, I, which is possible, um, you're going to, you're going to have a finite income and that finite income won't allow you to buy a place on Lake Oswego. I mean, let's just, you know, let's just face the music on this. So if somebody came along and said, okay, well, we have this neighborhood thing set up over here. Here's what you get. You get to live in this place for a relatively fair amount. You don't own the place, by the way. But you'll get services like, well, uh, a community green belt, which would be a community garden. And that there's the potential to have a community daycare for your kid. And, you know, other things that are going to be related to that, that lot, um, that lease and that lifestyle. If you're a single mom, you're taking the deal. Because it's providing you with certain amenities that nobody else is offering you. And I'm not saying it's the right thing to do or the best thing to do. But it is the expedient thing to do, because as we've seen with society, it's been cultivated in a certain way where the family's just been hammered, just hammered away. Um, and then this seduction of these incredibly high uh, house, house prices have led generations to sell their family homes, which is what's happened. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases. So they're like, fuck, let's get out. This is great. This we're at the height of the market. And these would be homes that might have been the family two plus generations. They're gone now, right? So that means that a whole whole other stable of generational housing is going away. So there's less of it. And, and the family, the, the whole idea of the family in and of itself has been altered. Because that was, the, that you know, at a certain point, that was the goal. You meet somebody, you like each other, and you get married, and then you start a family. You need a home, and you need all the things that go along with it. Well, that thing got disrupted in a big way. So now you've got people who are different levels of the spectrum with home ownership and family. And it's been cultivated. This whole thing has been socially engineered in a lot of ways, right? So it's all querying as well. We're headed towards the Aquarian age. So we're gonna, we're gonna have to get there one way or the other. Is it gonna be 
Klaus Schwab and his minions telling us how to live and work together? Or are we going to be creative and come up with new ideas? And by the way, these I, I take my hat off to these people. And I can tell you, these people own local businesses. They need people to work in their business. And if you're not doing something, it, it, well, yeah. we don't really want government to get involved. Although in a situation like this, it might even help the local government because they need workers too. I mean, the city of Fredericksburg is one of the largest employers in the city of Fredericksburg. And a lot of people live in Harper and Kerrville and they commute in because they have to. But I think this ability of this private group who is looking after their own interests, which I don't have a problem with, that they're coming up with a solution. Is it the best solution? I, I don't know. Because we're in unchartered territory. It's an experiment. And it's an experiment that's based on this idea that you're not going to own anything. And in that world, that's a mild version of that. But if you're the single mom that lives in Portland, you got two, one kid, two kids, and this pops up, and, and then you get, and even in a more extreme version, you get UBI. And now you get the UBI, and you got your place, you get your UBI, uh, you've got some, some services in your neighborhood, you have some daycare, you have the, maybe you have a little community garden, you have play space, right? You got, um, you know, purple, purple popcorn night. So why wouldn't you do that? Why, why wouldn't you do that? You would, because it's offering a long, longer term solution for you and your kids to theoretically grow up and, and have sex changes in. So we're at this point now where if we're going to combat this idea of Agenda 2030, which is coming at us like a freight train, which is also, we could also call it communitarianism. For me, the key with the communitarian part is that they have to bring in the faux spirituality. They have to bring in the faux spirituality and uh, this idea of the greater good, which is the faux spirituality. So if we're gonna stop this thing, then we have to come up with better ideas. We have, we, it's, the, it's the marketplace of ideas. And if you, if you can't come up with a better deal for that woman, that single mom with her nose pierced, maybe some tats and a kid or two, you're not gonna win. You're not gonna win the battle against Klaus Schwab and his minions who are now coming out swinging. So that's, you know, for better or worse, I applaud the efforts of these people here in Fredericksburg to provide a solution that is not coming from the new Schwabian world. Although there are some bleed through effects in alliances, which I don't want to get into today because I need to spend a little more time doing some research um, with this group who's providing these housing solutions and the, uh, the coalition of voters that put the new mayor, the new two city council people and a third city council person who's going to be appointed by the new mayor or the new city council because the old city council person has done her Obama work and now she's leaving. So this is where we are right now. If, if we're going to defeat Klaus Schwab and the World Economic uh, Forum crew, we got to come up with better ideas and we have to implement them or else it's gonna, it's, we're going to lose. 
we're going to lose this thing. Because you can tell that person in Portland, you go chapter and verse and tell them the, the downside of Agenda 2030 and the downside of communitarianism and try to wake them up. And yet they've got to come up with a living plan for them and their kid or two kids. And, you know, it's going to go in one ear and out the other, if you even get that far. But if you say, hey, what do you think of this idea? And it would, it would allow you to, to raise your kids and, and have a reasonable life. And it is a competitive model to the Schwab model. you got a better chance. You have a better chance. And it feels like that's where we are now. And so again, I, I tip my cap to these people. Getting things done is not always easy. How they fit in and mesh with the bigger plan. And is this uh, an appendage of Agenda 21, Agenda 2030? Is this an appendage of uh, the communitarian model, you know, kind of rebranded? I don't, I don't know. I know that they are serving their self-interests, meaning they want workers. They want where they need people to run their businesses and there's nothing wrong with that. All right. So where does this stuff come from? We're going to start. So what's going to happen is that over the next few days, today and tomorrow, we're going to talk about Henry George because Henry George is the father of these ideas. So we're going to get into a little Henry George and then tomorrow we're going to really um, go down the rabbit hole. So let's, uh, let's do a quick bio synopsis of Henry George. This is from his Wikipedia page. He was born on September 2nd, 1839. <laughs> Dies October 29th, 1897. Doesn't live very long. Uh, lives, um, what is that, uh, 57? 58 years for that time. That was long. He was, he was long in the tooth for that, that, that era. He was an American political economist. His writing was immensely popular in 19th century America and sparked several reform movements of the progressive era. He inspired the economic philosophy known as Georgism, the belief that people should own the value they produce themselves, but the economic value derived from land, including natural resources, should belong equally to all members of society. George famously argued that a single tax on land values would create a more productive and just society. His most famous work, Progress and Poverty, sold millions, check that out, sold millions of copies worldwide. The treatise investigates the paradox of increasing inequality and poverty amid economic and technological progress. Where have you heard that before? The business cycle with its cyclic nature of industrialized economies and the use of rent capture, such as land value tax and other anti-monopoly reforms as a remedy for these and other social problems. Other works by George defended free trade, the secret ballot and public ownership of certain natural monopolies. So this guy is kind of interesting. He is not a uh, dyed in the wool Marxist where the state owns everything. I mean, he's he's into free trade. He wants people, you know, to be able to vote and have anonymous voting. So he's he's this weird hybrid of this kind of progressive 
socioeconomic theory based on land ownership. And he leans into free market capitalism. George was a journalist for many years and the popularity of his writing and speeches brought him to run for election as mayor of New York City in 1886 as United States Labor Party nominee in 1886 and in 1887 as a Jefferson Democracy Party uh, nominee. He received 31% and 4% of the vote respectively and finished ahead of former uh, New York Assem State Assembly Minority Leader Theodore Roosevelt in the first race. So in the first race, George did pretty well. Like he had more votes than Teddy Roosevelt. After his death during the second campaign, his ideas were carried forward by organizations and political leaders throughout the United States and other Anglophone countries. The mid 20th century labor economist and journalist George Sewell wrote that George was by far the most famous American economic writer and author of a book which probably had a larger worldwide circulation than any other work on economics ever written. Think about that for a second. This guy's book was purchased and read more than Marx's book. Let's get into his personal life a little bit here. George was born in Philadelphia to a lower middle-class family, the second of 10 children of Richard S. H. George and Catherine Pratt George, Ne Valance. His father was a publisher of religious texts and a devout Episcopalian, and he sent George to the Episcopal Academy in Philadelphia. George chafed at his religious upbringing and left the academy without graduating. Instead, he convinced his father to hire a tutor and supplemented this with avid reading and attending lectures at the Franklin Institute. His formal education ended at age 14, and he went to sea as a foremast boy at the age of 15 in April 1855 on the Hindu that's H-I-N-D-O-O, -O, bound from Melbourne and Calcutta. He ended up in the American West in 1858 and briefly considered prospecting for gold, but instead started work the same year in San Francisco as a typesetter. In California, George fell in love with Annie Corsina Fox from Sydney, Australia. They met on her 17th birthday. On October 12th in 1860, she had been orphaned. We got an orphan during, during that time. Imagine that. Um, and was living with an uncle. The uncle, a prosperous, strong-minded man, was opposed to his niece's impoverished suitor, but the couple defined him, eloped and married on December 3rd, 1861, with Henry dressed in a borrowed suit and Annie bringing only a packet of books. The marriage was a happy one and four children were born to them. On November 3rd, 1862, Annie gave birth to future United States representative from New York, Henry George Jr., Early on, even with the birth of future sculptor, Richard F. George, the family was near starvation. George's other two children were both daughters. The first was Jenny George, 1867 to 1897. There's a brief life. Later to become Jenny George Atkinson. George's other daughter was Anna Angela George, 1878 to 1847, who would become the mother of both future dancer and choreographer, Agnes DeMille and future actress, Peggy George who was born Margaret George DeMille. Following the birth of his second child, George had no work and no money. Poor family planning on the George part, the George family part. It had to beg for food. As he approached the first well-dressed stranger he saw on the street, George, normally a lawful man, decided to rob him. 
if he was unwilling to help. Fortunately, the man took pity on him and gave him $5. Back then, that's a big, that's a big sum. George was raised as Episcopalian, but he believed in deistic humanitarianism. His wife, Annie, was Irish Catholic. But Henry George Jr. wrote that the children were mainly influenced by George's deism and humanism. After deciding to get gold mining in British Columbia, George was hired as a printer for the newly created San Francisco Times. He was able to immediately submit editorials for publication, including the popular What the Railroads Will Bring Us, which remained required reading in California schools for decades. George climbed the ranks of the Times, eventually becoming managing editor in the summer of 1867. George worked for several papers, including four years, 1871 to 1875, as editor of his own newspaper, the San Francisco Daily Evening Post, and for a time running the Reporter, a Democratic anti-monopoly publication. George experienced four tough years of trying to keep his newspaper afloat and was eventually forced to go to the streets to beg. The George family struggled, but George's improving reputation and involvement in the newspaper industry lifted them from poverty. Okay, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to stop here. And we're going to get into the political and economic philosophy of Henry George, his political career, the, his death and funeral. So we're going to get into more of this. This is going to be probably about a, about a three-parter. Because Henry George's template is the template for everything I just showed you with this group here in Fredericksburg, House of Aaron. You know, I might even I might even interview somebody from that group. It might be worthwhile. I actually know Polly, although she's probably pissed at me because I, I ran for city council. I probably stole some of her votes. H had I not run, she might have been reelected. Anyway, that's the way the ball bounces sometimes. Um, so let's let's convene here tomorrow. And sorry for the snafu. Mondays are a little weird for me, just in terms of kind of getting it together sometimes. I will do better tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Uh, come back tomorrow, 9-11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And we will spend more time looking into the life and times of Henry George, and more importantly, Georgism, which plays a huge role in socioeconomic theory. And you're going to see more of it now than ever before. And they will bolt this thing ultimately to Agenda 2030 and the whole communitarian model. All right. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart to stable what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Have a happy Monday. We'll catch you tomorrow. Bye for now.